And we're now going to get started into our message. I'm Joe Collins, and I want to welcome you to our service this morning. Last week, we learned that in chapters 1 through 6 of Jeremiah, that they are more or less in chronological order. And they span a period of about 40 years of Jeremiah's life and ministry. But beginning in chapter 7, the book becomes less chronological and becomes more thematic or situational. So likewise, I'm doing the same thing with our series. And last week, we started a sort of a theme that we are following through the book called Cringeworthy Things That God Made Jeremiah Do. Last week, we learned that God made Jeremiah stand outside the entrance to the temple and confess the sins of everyone as they came in to worship God. Did not make him many friends. Today, I want to look at two cringeworthy things. The first one is when God told Jeremiah to bury his underwear. That is in the Bible. And the second one is when God told Jeremiah to give a really, really bad toast at a party. I love this theme because it challenges my perspective of not only God, but of things that God made people like Jeremiah do. It doesn't fit the convention in my mind. It pushes me into areas where I have to really think and consider and ponder what the scriptures say and our teaching. I hope that the series and this theme will do the same for you. That we will go beyond just the, the simple overview, just the bullet points, just the talking points, and we will actually get a little bit, we, we will be willing to get deeper into God's Word, not just on Sunday morning, but even in your own personal time with God. There was this woman... Her name was Mary, and she met with her pastor. She wanted to talk to him about a sin that had, that had appeared in her life and was really troubling her. It was causing a lot of trouble, so she met with her pastor, and she said, Pastor, I have this sin in my life, and it is, it's wearing on me. It's, it's really bad, and no matter what I've done, I can't, I can't seem to overcome it. The pastor said, well, Mary, tell me what, what's going on. She said, well... Every time I go to church, I look at the other ladies and I realize that I'm prettier than they are. That I'm prettier than every other lady in the church. It's terrible. I'm distraught, but, but pastor, it's true. What do I need to do about this sin? And the pastor smiled and he put his hand on Mary's shoulder and he said, Mary, you're not in sin, you're just mistaken. <laughs> you know, every now and then, we make mistakes. And it's always good when someone comes along into our life and is willing to help correct our mistakes. We're going to pray, ask for God's blessing on the message today, and then we're going to read Jeremiah chapter 13. Father, Thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for your incredible love and passion and kindness in our life. And thank you for a chance just to sing to you, to be the instruments this morning. Thank you for the song leaders putting in the time and the work to lead us, to, to help us 
connect with you just on a personal level in the worship. Thank you for the prayer time that Kyle let us, uh, Logan let us in. Thank you uh, for bringing us to our knees and to remember our, our real position, our right order with you. God, thank you for communion and a chance to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, your son on the cross. We pray now that your spirit open up our hearts, speak to every one of us in this room this morning. Help us to really, truly listen to what it is that you want us to hear today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 13. Verse 1, this is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist. But do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt, as the Lord directed, put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and go now to Parath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Parath as the Lord told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, Go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Now, most scholars take this text and they believe it was probably recorded or or spoken or shared, whatever, somewhere around 597 B.C., which would put it about one year before... Jerusalem, the city, and the temple of of God that was there in the city would be destroyed by the nation of Babylon. Jeremiah had spent 40 years of his life, and his, his message and his ministry was one of repentance, but it had been unsuccessful. He could not turn the society of his day back to God. And so now it was time for judgment. But just before that judgment was to come, God told Jeremiah to do something I'm calling cringeworthy. He told him to buy a linen belt, to wear it, not wash it, then bury it, then dig it up and try to wear it again. Now for such a simple passage, there are a tremendous amount of unanswered questions in this text. Was this command meant to be performance art? We talked about performance art last week, how the prophets did things very publicly at times for all the people to see. And it was usually very controversial and very disturbing, but it was out there and people couldn't deny it. And it forced people to come to some sort of conclusion or decision. Was this some sort of performance art? Was God telling Jeremiah to very publicly take this linen belt and and publicly walk through the, the, the country and off to this place called Parath and bury it? Was this like a walkathon where everybody would see it? Or was this meant to just be some sort of personal revelation between God and Jeremiah? We don't know. Even more curiously is the linen belt. Was it actually a belt? The material suggests Otherwise, belts were usually leather or some sort of animal skin. But the fact that it was linen actually suggests that maybe 
It was a pair of underwear. Forgive my picture. But this linen pair of underwear was something that the priests would often wear. It was the most personal and intimate part of their attire, and they would wear it under all their other garb. Was it a sash like we see in the other image? Something that was still very intimate and close, but representative of their status as priests. We don't actually know specifically what this garment was. I favor the underwear. Another question has to do with the location of Parath. Was it near the Euphrates River? You can see on our little map screenshot I took, the distance between Jerusalem and the Euphrates River is quite far. It's over 500 miles. Was, did God tell Jeremiah to take a 500 mile some odd journey to Babylon? to the river of the Euphrates in Babylon. Coincidentally, or not coincidentally, that was the hometown of the nation that was about to come in and invade and destroy Jerusalem. Did God ask, command Jeremiah to go all the way over there and bury his undies in a crevice near that river? Or is Parath somewhere near Bethlehem, maybe six miles away? If you if you prefer the former then you probably think of this, this command as very public, very performance arty. Jeremiah would have done this journey. People would have heard about it. It would have been very open, 500 miles, and then back. And by the way, he had to do it twice in a year on foot. If you prefer the more local location for Parath, then maybe it was a personal message between God and Jeremiah. We don't actually know for sure. Here's a kicker. Many scholars don't even believe this actually happened, that this was just a vision that God gave Jeremiah. So it was just sort of like a dream that he had. All of these perspectives have legitimate arguments for their interpretation. There's probably a few I haven't even mentioned. You know, the Bible is a funny thing. The more I read it, the more I realize I don't know it. It's like a gift that keeps on giving. You can read it and you can get invested in it and you can dig into a passage or a text and you can understand it inside and out and be all excited about your new revelation and three months later come back to it and find something totally new in the text. There's no other book like that. An entire lifetime can be spent pouring over its pages and into its stories, and you'll continually learn something new. I don't know about you, if you've ever had this experience, but I've read the Bible for a long time now in my life, many, many, a couple decades, and or more than that, actually. And, and what I read now, I find I disagree with what I used to think 5, 10, 20 years ago. It actually has changed my own opinion about my opinions. 
Somebody once said, I don't even agree with myself anymore. I feel that when I read the Bible. There was a time where I was sure, and it was, I was, I was 100%, this is what it's about, and this is what it means. And as I've read more and more, I've become less and less dogmatic. I've become less and less rigid and sure that I understand and know everything about it that there is to know. Now, this may make some of you uncomfortable because we say every Sunday that the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. And I believe it is. I am not saying the Bible is not truth or that it is, it is not undecipherable. I believe it is. But I have a different way I approach it today than I did five, 10, 15, and even 20 years ago. I'm much more humble. Now I'm not humble because I said I'm humble. (laughs) But I honestly, I honestly tell you, I read into it and I pour myself into it and I study it and I, and I realize that I'm not the guy with the answers. There are so many questions. There's so many nuances and complexities, even with core convictions, even with fundamental beliefs that I have, repentance, faith, lordship. What about things like divorce and marriage and remarriage? What about things like purity and single life? All of these things. There was a time in my life where I had it all figured out. And then I read it again and again, and I go, wow, I was wrong. It is so much more nuanced and so much more complex than a soundbite or a catchy phrase on Sunday morning. It is so much more rich than a simple series of studies that leads you to a conclusion. Jesus said it was living and active. Paul said it was living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I worry sometimes that as Christians, we have gotten comfortable in just the simple interpretation. That we've learned things 5, 10, 20 years ago, and we're just holding on to them as if they're immovable, unchangeable, as if they're not complex or nuanced, as if there wasn't something more to grasp and to understand. At the very least, as if there wasn't some some depth there that would actually change you if you took the time to invest in it. If your reading of the Bible does not continually challenge you to refine and rethink your assumptions, then you're doing it wrong. You're missing out on revelation. You're missing out on what God wants to teach you today. I'm asking you to consider anew the Bible. To read it afresh. To look at it with new eyes and new ears. And to see if maybe you don't find a nuance or a complexity that you hadn't seen before. And maybe that leads you down a road to a whole new revelation and a whole new insight into God's Word.
Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. As unclear and as many questions there are about this curious story of God telling Jeremiah to bury his undies in a crevice, the meaning is actually quite clear. It's even given to us by Jeremiah himself. He even explains it for us. Israel, or Judah, had once enjoyed intimate and purposeful relationship with God, but after many years of immorality and idolatry, they were now stained and they were falling apart. And instead of clinging to God like a brand nice new whitey tidy pair of underwears, they had fallen away and became useless. I got to tell you this story. It is a true story. <clears throat> One of the funniest stories I have. My wife and I, several years ago, were out to lunch. And we sat down at our table, and next to us was a table, and there was an elderly couple sitting at the table, very elderly couple. One of those couples that you see, and you get real warm feelings because you're like, oh, they've been married like 50 years or something. Like, you could just tell. And they'd known each other their entire lives. Very heartwarming. But we happened to be in earshot of their conversation. And I am not kidding. This is not a joke. I mean, it's funny. But it's not a joke. This was the basic context and, and flow of their conversation. The woman said to her husband, you haven't been wearing the new pair of underwear I bought you. He said, well, they're uncomfortable. I like my old pair. She said, well, your old pair have a big hole in them. And they're all torn up. And he said, well, the new ones don't fit right. And she said, well, there's holes all over your underwear. I bought you a new pair of underwear. You should try them. And he said, yeah, well, your underwear have stains all over them. No, it's actually hilarious. This is not like shocking. It was hilarious to listen to. I want to be married long enough so I can have that same talk with my wife, Lynette. This was the conversation. Went on for like 30 minutes. We were giggling the entire lunch as they went back and forth about their underwear. They were so comfortable in their tattered and stained underwear that they weren't willing to exchange them for a new pair. <laughs> Such was the state of Judah in Jeremiah's day. They had gotten so comfortable in their idolatry and their immorality that God could not do something new in their life. How's your relationship with God this morning? Is it close? Is it personal? Is it intimate? Are you clinging to Him? 
or is it stained? Is it torn? Is it non-existent and in danger of falling off? I thought about this a lot. I've been thinking about this message all week, of course, and I really realized that, you know, for me, maybe you relate, I don't know, but it's a little bit of both. There's a part of me that is as happy as I've ever been. I love Simi Church. I love what we do here. I love everything about what we're doing. I love that we have a worship band that rocks. I love that we take time to do a cappella singing to, to ground ourselves in our roots. I love that we have things going on, classes and all kinds of things. People are stepping up and putting their talent forward. I love that we have this open and, and loving sense where people can come in and they can be themselves and we don't, we don't judge them here on Sunday morning. We just want them to feel loved. I love everything we're doing. comfortable and I don't want it to change. On the other hand, maybe God wants it to change. Maybe God wants to push us into areas that we're not comfortable with. Maybe he wants to challenge me into things that I don't necessarily want to do. And it's really hard to take something new from God when I'm clinging to what's old. I think a lot of us, if we really think about it, might be able to relate. We're holding on to some things in our lives because they're comfortable. And we don't see how stained and torn they've become. They may have been good things at one point, but we've become dogmatic and inflexible. And they're not working and you know, when you're holding on, you can't accept anything new because you're, you're holding on. At some point, we've got to be willing to take a leap of faith, to be challenged, to, be, to dare into areas of unknown and let God bless us with something new. You know, I, I really believe... That when, when God told Jeremiah to tell them that they had become useless as a garment, the, the, the point he was making there was that God had a reason for giving you the garment. It was so that you could be an example to others. When we hold on and we become dogmatic and we become set in our ways and we become inflexible, we no longer are a light to those who are looking at us, we become useless. They see no growth. They see no change. They see no life. They see no maturity. And who would want to go to a fellowship that isn't growing lively and mature? Who would want to know about your life when they see you just clinging on to old and tattered ways and not Embracing something new, letting God do something new, create something new, and you bless you in some new way. I think about the people in my life, in my oikos, in my household, the people that God has supernaturally and strategically put in my life. 
I pray about them just about every day. I think about in, invi- investing in them. I think about inviting them. And I think about preparing myself to be the person I need to be for them. But if I'm not willing to let God change me, I am failing at that mission. When I first came to the church, I was a young man. I was involved in all kinds of sin as everyone else. But what I saw was a fellowship of people who were actually changing, who were actually doing something different. And it spoke to me at that time. It drew me in. It gave me confidence and hope that, oh, maybe that could be said of me. What are you holding on to that is no longer useful? What are you clinging to that has been torn and tattered and stained and needs to be let go of so you can receive something new? I don't have supernatural powers. I'm not Jeremiah. I can't stand out there and tell you what it is. That's for you to think about. That's for you to wonder about. That's for you to ponder and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The key I'll give you. The key is to examine God's word with fresh eyes and fresh ears every time. To let him tell you something you don't already know. To give you an insight that you haven't already had. To give inspiration that maybe is new and refreshing and and can replace the inspiration that you've been running on and that's been running out of gas in your life. But it all starts with your willingness to go back to His Word and not be dogmatic, not be set in your ways, not decide you already know what He says and how He says it and why He says it, but to look at it afresh again and to let God speak to you Verse 12, say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, every wineskin should be filled with wine. And if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Then tell them, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to fill I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem. I will smash them one against the other, parents and children alike, declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. So immediately after this account of Jeremiah bearing his undies, and Jeremiah's statement about what it means. God has Jeremiah attend a party. There was drinking at this party. And while Jeremiah is there, God says, hey, Jeremiah, make a toast. And so Jeremiah says, every wineskin should be filled with wine. It was probably a common phrase, a common toast that would have been said at parties and celebrations. Something like, may your glass always be full. But there was something in the way that Jeremiah said it that was off-putting. 
And so the people at the party respond, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? They were almost a little snarky here. It was almost like, yeah, Jeremiah, our glasses are full. And now comes the second cringeworthy thing God tells Jeremiah to do. He says, Jeremiah, after they give this response that we know they're going to give, of course, Jeremiah, our glasses are always full. I want you to say something like this. Great. And I hope you drink that entire glass. And I hope you get so drunk that you drive home and you crash and you destroy your entire family. Holy cow, who invited Jeremiah to this party? <laughs> you can't take this guy anywhere. You could just see people. I think even the fact that they were already kind of snarky with him, he had already had the reputation of the guy that had to say the most obnoxious thing in the middle of the party. We're actually going to look at another cringeworthy thing later in our series where God literally told Jeremiah to be a jerk to everyone. Maybe he was already doing that. And they knew it. I mean, talk about a buzzkill. The message is basically the same as the one of the belt. God wanted the best for Judah, but they rejected him, and now they were losing their blessings. I don't believe, as we close out here, that it's a coincidence that 500 years later, Jesus gives a nod to this story when he is at a party and there's drinking and he says, new wine has to be put in new wineskins because the old wine can't handle, I mean, the old skin can't handle a second fermentation. His point was that God wanted to do something new in Israel. But they were too set in their ways, in their assumptions and their conclusions and in their opinions and in their dogmatism to make room for anything new. Let's not be like the people in Jeremiah's day, who were like old, torn up underwear. Let's not be like the people in Jesus' day, who were like old, broken wineskins. Let's not even be like our friend Mary, who just made a mistake. Let's not miss the new thing that God wants to do in you beginning today. I already mentioned it next week. We have our ABC class. If you're interested in learning more about what it means to covenant with Jesus, I want to encourage you to come to our class, 9.30 Sunday morning before church. If you're not ready for that kind of a conversation, we're just glad you're here. I want to invite you back. Keep coming back. We're happy to have you. At this time, we're going to stand. I'm going to say a prayer, and you're going to be dismissed.